Welcome to working title, Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. Without the eggs. Coffee with Craig. Well, I got some <laughs> advice actually because there are many vegans out there and uh, I'm not a vegan myself. Right. Maybe I'll become one, but vegans don't eat eggs. Right. So maybe. So what, what did the eggs refer to then? Well, uh, <laughs> sometimes we'd have eggs. We don't have eggs today, we've got coffee. Maybe we uh, could no superimpose eggs. them. <laughs> And put a picture of eggs, the yeah, eggs well, emoji. If there was uh, if there was any URLs we mentioned, it could come up on an egg. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm going to start. We're, we're straight into it already. So this this week's guest is Tom Ollerton, uh, and I'm kind of turning the tables on Tom yeah. a bit. Um, some of you may know Tom as the host and interviewer of Shiny New Object. That's correct. I had the pleasure to uh, be one of your guests on that, you which did. makes this enormously uh, intimidating <laughs> for me because you're kind of the expert. Why does it right? make it intimidating? Well, because you? you you know how to do this, and uh, you know I'm just bumbling along, finding my way. Right. But you also have a company. I do. I've uh, yeah, called uh, Automated Creative, which we'll talk about as yeah, well. Sounds brilliant. super interesting. But the purpose of this, I put my coffee down because I'm still talking. Uh, is to learn a little bit more about more of your personal journey, uh, which right. I think has some real uh, interest in it. Uh, going shall through, see. through marketing, well, we shall see. So take me back, start by taking me back, and uh, where did it all begin uh, for you? In terms of my born career? And raised in the, well, no, born and raised in the, in the UK. Yeah, born and raised in the UK, uh, in the northeast of England, um, and I went to university to study philosophy, uh, which turned out was really difficult. And I, I remember there was this lecture that I didn't understand and I went to speak to the lecturer afterwards and I just said, I'm really struggling with this subject. I just, it was uh, predicate logic, which is it's turning lang language into numbers basically and I was just, just could not handle it. And I said, look, wh why do, wh what are we doing here? And he said, look, if you can understand predicate logic, then you could have a career in artificial intelligence. And <laughs> of course. It, and at the time, I was just into being in a band and doing all the things that bands do. And I went, why would I want to do that? <laughs> and then very shortly left university, dropped out um, to move to London to get a record deal. Yeah. Um, convinced of my talent and my imminent fame. And then I spent a long time being very unsuccessful and eventually recorded uh, an album. That was, for a band that will not be named on this point or anywhere else. Um, and I spent a lot of time doing an album with a different project and had every major record label come and see us perform, uh, came down to the studio uh, and no one signed it because uh, it wasn't very good. It was, a pretty bad, it was a pretty bad album. I listen to it every year and it gets worse every year, <laughs> which, is, which is crushing. But it was, a, it was an incredible experience. See, that's what I did in my 20s because I got up every day, right. got on acoustic guitar, and wrote a song, went to a studio, did a gig, hung out with brilliant, talented, exciting musicians. Um, and then uh, obviously that crashed and burned. And then during being a, a fairly impoverished musician, I sort of taught myself how to cook. I sort of fell in love with food. And a friend gave me a job in a pasta restaurant, a kind of traditional Italian place. And I got the job as the pasta chef. So I made gnocchi and everything else every day for, for two years. And that ended up being more rock and roll than being in a band, which um, <laughs> we probably won't go into why uh, on this podcast. Um, Let's go back to the musician phase. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, sure. To sort of yeah, dig in on. a bit more. So you're a guitarist, 
a lyricist. Did yeah, you sing singer, as well? singer, songwriter. Wow. Person. I'm a, I'm a bit of a strummer, not like a, 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 yeah, a real player. So, I'm, I'm thinking of sort of getting into writing kids' songs now because uh, okay. my daughter's one. She's starting to under, understand that. But do you still play? Um. So I have a musical broken heart, and what I mean that's a bit, bit much, I guess, but. And what I mean by that is, do you remember when you were little and you saw the back come off a TV for the first time? You, you saw yeah. it inside a TV and you were yeah. a little bit heartbroken because there weren't any unicorns and rainbows people. and stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like, where are all the small people? Um, and I, I kind of did that with music. I sort of took the back off it and, and worked out what, yeah. what makes an album, what makes an artist. And it transpires I wasn't really any of those things. Yeah. Uh, I think with music, I... I wanted to be a rock star. Like that, I, I wanted the affirmation, yeah. and I wanted to be on stage, and I wanted everyone to go, "You're amazing! You're, yeah. you're talented." Um, but I wasn't that interested in being a musician. Right. I'm like, being a musician was kind of sort of something that I sort of did at the same time as trying to be vehicle. a rock star. Yeah. 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 So when it came to me being a musician, when the microphone got turned on, I couldn't cut it. Like what came out of me naturally yeah. as a musician. Was, wasn't very good. Whereas all the other people around me were brilliant musicians who yeah. who love the, you know, the feel of picking up a drumstick or yeah. putting their fingers on a piano, and yeah. they, they were just brilliant. And everything they did sounded amazing. Everything I did sounded fine. It just wasn't great. Um, and I saw, and I I kind of took the back off music and looked inside and thought, ah, oh, you know, that isn't actually me. And a similar thing kind of happened with food actually. So yeah, I sometimes think. You can fall in love with the end product, but yeah. actually, if you want to be successful, you need to fall in love with the process, and the, the end process. product just happens. Yeah, what a great way of putting it. So, how long how long were you working as a uh, as a chef, a pasta chef? A pasta chef. Yeah, I did, I did that for two years, and I was dating a girl at the time, and she. And I was like, well, what, what do you do for a living? Because when you're in a band or a chef or you're you know, working the, maybe in, the, in that kind of world, anyone who works in the office, you just have no idea what people do. Because <laughs> like, I never had a job really. Where do you go every day? Yeah, you're like, what do you do? Like, like meetings? Like, what's it? I'd never had a meeting until I was 30, really. You know, like, um, and so I, I, I was seeing this girl. I said, what do you do? She worked for a, uh, a, a, a mobile marketing company yeah and she's and I remember when she said I, I've done a user experience for a Java game for Guinness app or something and I was just like a what for a what for a what <laughs> and uh, and then it sort of transpired that you know you could be creative and actually get paid money for it which I'd never really yeah. managed up to that point and then and I got really excited about the idea of advertising creativity technology and uh, I saw Gumtree, it's probably still a yes. thing. Yeah. Uh, I saw an advert come up for an internship at a digital agency, and it was just down the road from my house. So I, I literally saw the ad, and I walked there within 15 minutes and just knocked on the door and said, oh, I'm here about the internship. And they were like, what? <laughs> we, we just press send, you know? Um, and so the MD, uh, a guy called Damien Kimmelman, um, very, very successful entrepreneur, uh, the guy who founded Judo, yeah, I uh, think you may have come across yeah. at some point. And I sat down with Damien, still my friend, and, and I said, look, I just I want to do this stuff. And he said, okay, come in next week. And I was doing intern stuff. 
and one of the things I did was I had to, he gave me new business people CVs to read. Yeah. And he just said, do you like any of these CVs? And I got feel. Yeah. And I read through all these salespeople CVs and I was like, yeah. these people don't do anything. Like this, you know, there's not like a degree in sales or a, yeah. you know, they were just people that had done stuff. And I said, why, why can't I do this? Why can't I yeah. just throw myself into this job? Yeah. And he yeah. said, Tom will probably regret this decision, but off you go. And then within within a few months, we'd won work with Virgin and Vauxhall, and you know, I'd, so I, I could sell. You became a salesperson, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd argue that uh, all frontmen in bands are salespeople. Yeah. You're you know you're either flogging the point you're trying to make in the song, or you're selling a ticket yep. or a t-shirt or a, yep. or you're selling the vision of the band. Yeah. I don't think many musicians would subscribe to the fact yeah. that they are salespeople, but I bet there are thousands of front men and women out there who will end up in commission-based sales because they have the confidence to go on stage yeah. and expose their emotions. Yeah. They, they can read a room, they can work creatively, they can think on their feet. Yeah. All those things that you, you, you know you need as a salesperson. Actually, I think that certain types of performers are actually training themselves to do those jobs. Yeah. I certainly relate to that. I think there are many jobs that probably fit into that category unwittingly somehow sales jobs. So you, you were making the pasta with the, the, the fine flour and the eggs and uh, that That's became it. a yeah, little bit yeah. much after a while. Yeah, it's, and uh, then... Because yeah, the internship and, yeah, the, and, and that was, sort of just drew you. And I, I, I love food, but I think that, like, you've... The, the, with being a chef, the pay is the doing. Not the pay, yeah. Like, because the money's so bad for, for yeah. most people, and, and the, the hours, hours are awful. Yeah. <laughs> like, but there was people I worked with that, you know, they. Uh, there would be this whisper around the kitchen about the fact that the first mussels of the season would come in next this year. Oh, there's tomatoes are coming in. You know, there'd be this anticipation, and then the, you know, the the, the artichokes would arrive, and people would like, pick them up. And and the one thing I'll never forget was on the first day they put a, a lamb's carcass in the middle of the kitchen, and it was uh, I think it was salt marsh lamb that, that feeds on the and the Thames Estuary eats like. Yeah. Uh, like a salty grass and stuff, so incredible flavour. And they and they said, smell it. Like and lamb, raw lamb doesn't really smell or anything, but it does have a smell. Yeah. And they said, that is what the best lamb in the world smells like. Remember that. Right. And that was the same with everything: cheese, wine, salt, whatever. You know. So you, and you had this kind of 360 sense of everything. You, uh, and so, and and I loved it, but I I didn't love it in. It wasn't enough pay, and I was I was 28, 29, 30, and I was like, if I stick to this for 10 years, yeah. financially, where am I going to be? Yeah. And so, food isn't you know if you don't work in the kitchen, you can still love food. So I was like, well, I'm going to pursue this career in marketing, advertising, yeah. digital, as we called it at the time. Uh, and I thought, well, I'll try this for a bit and see what happens. So creative marketing, digital became your thing. Yeah. Uh, you, you found that you could sell, use use some of those skills. Yeah. Uh, and this was which company? What, what was the name of it? We we were called We Are Bi. We Are Bi. Who are no longer with us, um, but yeah, Damien spun that out into into Judeal. I don't know. I think he's, he's no longer with Judeal, but um, yeah, that was an incredible experience. Uh, but the great thing was we were a, a full service digital agency, and Damien just had this ability to say yes to anything like yeah. oh we can do a PPC campaign yeah we'll build, build your mobile website oh, oh of course um, augmented reality of course you know um, and so his view was just sell anything and then yeah. work out how to make it yeah. later which I think is a, not always the best move but exposed me to a really broad range of different digital skills 
So whether that was uh, copy or user experience yeah. or uh, uh, or something called social media, like that came up. Yeah. It was like, uh, and I was like, Damien, can I sort of do this social media thing? Can I sort of try and sell this in? This was mid 2000s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you know, t like I used to go to things uh, called tweet ups or meetups for people that were on Twitter because but back in the day you didn't didn't actually have your name on it. It was just it was just like your at okay. Craig well, Craig one two three or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so we used to go and meet people. Are you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. What's your name? Oh, yeah, you're you. So then my my, my friend Louis and I, who worked at the agency, we set up a meetup called Ale 2.0, which was a meetup for ah, people yes, drank, that, yes. who who drank real ale, who worked in digital. So anyone who liked beer, who was on Twitter, <laughs> once a month would come to like a pub around here. Somewhere. Was that a big group or is it uh, quite it was, a niche? It was. It got to like 70, 80 people. Really? It? Yeah. And it was the, it was covered by Kodak on their global blog. May they rest in peace. You know, it was. But the great thing was, is that it exploded our network. Yeah. You know, so I I met like crazy influential people, yeah. like people running agencies or brands or yeah. publications. So anyone who's an early adopter of Twitter, yeah. who liked beer, and even people who didn't, would go. Uh, and it was there I met uh, Robin Grant, who founded Real Social, and that's how I sort of roundabout ended up right. ended up there. Uh, so I went from being a, like a guy making gnocchi to being an incredibly well connected yeah. person within digital marketing within a few months. Really. Right. So um, that really taught me the, the 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 value of blending a real world experience. Uh, with you know being do the right thing online and, and I still run events to this day. So. Yeah, and you are really well connected. I've noticed that. I mean, you just know everyone in the industry. <laughs> and the, the 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 thing that sort of there's a golden thread that runs through all of the experience <coughs> you've had, which is which is around digital. <coughs> is that just did that just happen because that was where marketing was heading or advertising was heading, or is there something deeper there that draws you to technology? I think it's. I would. I would say the thread is creativity, and that that's what was there. Obviously, in music and in food, and what I loved about digital at that time was was the creative process. Uh, I love that feeling of when you're looking at a campaign or a bit of technology, where like the hair stands up on your back of your neck. Like obviously, a lot of the stuff that Google has done over the years, you just like. Wow, man, that's amazing! And you get you know that that real feeling of discovery. It's a very similar feeling to discovering a brilliant bit of music that you like. Like, oh my god, I, I had yeah. no idea that that yeah. song existed, or I had no idea that was possible. And I think that that really is what propels the industry is that is that excitement and that, that thrill sometimes. So that not digital specifically, it's the the creativity that can, digital can inspire. That is, is I would have thought for a long time will be the thing that yeah. keeps me going. I completely relate to that. It's interesting you make the connection between creative and digital I think it's uh, I think it's so important that technology is kind of the simple bit right how you apply it and work with it and mold it is, uh, is the creative part indeed what uh, any good examples you can think of recently that have made your uh, hair stand up examples of recent things that have, that have made my hair stand up so I run a monthly meetup uh, called I'll be back and I run it with my partner Alex Hobhouse at Automated Creative. Uh, we set that up two years ago to explore the intersection of creativity, ads, and AI. And so every month we have someone from a brand, an agency, 
uh, a, a tech company uh, and a startup uh, to come and talk about the impact of AI on the advertising creative process. And that, like every every month, you, you're just like eye wobbling, going, I, I just can't believe this is possible. Yeah. And that was really the inspiration for founding Automated Creative, was that there's these businesses that can use AI to write music, to, to, to do deep fakes, which was obviously huge, uh, to create film scores, to create video, to create images, in, to, to the point at which you can't tell whether it, it's a human or a machine that has made it. Yeah. And I think that is the, the single biggest invention in, in advertising ever, the capacity for a machine to replicate advertising output in, a, in such a way that a human can distinguish between a human and a machine made bit of work. And that, that realization was the, the reason that we founded Automated Creative, was that at some point this AI is going to get so good at doing all the different things that humans do that advertising will work in a completely different way. I'm going to come back to the, um, the questions about how that sort of uh, relates to uh, what we do, um, but I'm interested to dig in uh, a bit more about your company. Tell me about your company, what does it do? Yeah, so our mission is to reinvent advertising using artificial intelligence, and so we're on a journey of exploring how to do that. Um, and we haven't managed to reinvent advertising using AI yet, uh, but we do use different elements of artificial intelligence to make ads that perform better, quicker and cheaper than doing it just the human way. Uh, we've got an incredible client list. Uh, we work with Reggae Benkies, uh, Adidas, um, uh, Diageo, uh, we, who else we work with, uh, Domino's, um, uh, kicked off some work with Samsung this week, so um, we work out of London and Singapore, so it's... The blue chip companies. Uh, yeah, yeah, exclusively. I mean. So how does it work? Do they come to you with um, with uh, creative uh, that's already been uh, built for TV or something and you convert it? Or how does it work? Yeah, so we are a tech platform that sits between the creative agency and the media agency. So, I mean, it's loosely, what used to happen was the creative agency makes it a thing, because it's the media agency, yeah. they don't put media behind it and optimise that audience to get the greatest whatever they want yeah. out of that thing. And and those two are, are almost church and state to a, to a degree, whereas what we do is we take that asset and then we upload that asset to a tool we have called Creator, which uses visual recognition to break down the different elements of that bit of content yeah. into what we call themes. So that can be emotions, copy, uh, people, location, time of day, gender, and anything that's in that in that original bit of content. So we break it down into its core DNA, and then we remix it at a massive speed and scale uh, by creating hundreds of different ads that run in media and then every single ad acts as a, its own data point that tells us what's working for us to then generate new ads. I see. So we All using the same asset, so you're sort of exactly, yeah. taking so it apart and putting it back together in different ways. But in a way that's faithful to the creative agency's sure. vision. We're not yeah. coming in going, oh, you've got an advert with dogs in it. Well, how about yeah. some cats? It's <laughs> like it's anything that we do is downstream of the strategy, the creative platform, yeah. and, and the asset that's created. So that we, we're there to remix and recreate what is there um, at, the, at this huge speed and scale. And because the technology is massively reduced the amount of time it takes to make anything, means that we 
the brand don't need then just to do one thing, you do hundreds right. of things, right. thousands of things, but all that data feeds back in centrally to tell us what to generate next. And how are you testing it? How are you getting the data to uh, feedback? So we operate in social and display, Yep. and so we know what's happening at every element of every ad, so whether, whether that's copy, colour, person, products, whatever, and each of those data points comes back to the central place and we can say, okay, so it's um, like uh, it's people who are outside that are performing better than people that are inside, okay, machine, go and generate more of those ads that look like the ones that are working. So it's amazing that some of those ads at the start look completely different to how they look at the end. Yeah. And they're really but, but are recognisable somehow. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, uh, it's absolutely incredible how um, the thing that works is very rarely the thing that you think is going to work. So, yeah. so we ha uh, we're trying to challenge all all of those biases. So, for example, what an agency would typically do is go, what's best practice for a category? Right. So, uh, for a, a Diageo project, um, the one of the themes that we explored was a, a bottle pouring in some whiskey into a glass. Um, but that performed the worst, and the thing that performed the best was a, a guy who was swimming in a lake, right? uh, which is completely weird, but um, we're finding that... Hopefully the, not after having the whiskey. No, it was, it, it was definitely before. <laughs> that is a very, that's a Portman Group regulation, um, so absolutely. Um, so the, the really interesting thing was that what actually drove the, the clicks was the weird thing. And we find that when you're operating at a massive scale and you can test lots of different variants, that actually it's the thing that bucks the trend yeah. that can often be the thing that performs. Yeah. And that is because but, uh, we, I really don't believe in best practice. Because best practice, if we're honest about it, is also known as copying. Yeah. What's, what do other people do that works? convention, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And so if you and if you and if brands copy each other, then they all do the same thing. And if everyone does the same thing, then you're not marketing anymore. You're just yeah. you're just following. Uh, and we often find using our technology that we find these strange quirks of user behaviour that actually really drive performance. So um, it's a, it's a mix of creative optimization, yeah, but also. Uh, understanding the things that the audience want to interact with. Amazing. So, where does that leave creative professionals, the humans, uh, in in the equation? In your view, how how does how does this play out? You know, let's wind the movie forward. Your technology gets better and better and better. You've got uh, creative that you're bringing into the system that's created by people mostly. Yeah. Uh, and you're transforming it. So how do you see that evolving? What's the role of the creative and the marketing? Well, I hope I've got this right yeah. because uh, because uh, we won't be having this conversation. We'll be in a few years. Uh, I think the future is synthetic media. So currently, what happens for for most of the work that we do is someone somewhere is pointing a camera at, at something, and someone's writing something down, and someone's saying something. There's, a, there's, a, there's lots of technology involved, but there's, it's very much humans capturing things in some form or other. Then they turn that into an ad or ads or whatever, back of, bank of assets. And then we come in and do our thing. However, I think that that human-led approach will be, become computer-generated or what is being called now synthetic media. So if you look at something like um, the Star Wars film where they recreated Princess Leia, Right, and that took like nine months. It was a frame store or someone. I hope it was frame store. Uh, nine months and cost gazillion 
quid, right? But at some point, that's gonna you can be able to do that for free or for eight ninety nine a month on 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 Adobe. Yeah. So if you're a brand, why would you pay for you know six people to jump on a plane and fly over to Rio to do a shoot with Lionel Messi? You know, at, at sundown when you can get get in for like twenty five minutes in between two interviews he's doing or something like that. Yeah. Where where what you could do is just license Lionel <coughs> Messi's image yeah. and and you could manipulate him to do whatever you want. Yeah. So. Fundamentally, brands won't be there paying people to do shoots. They, every single ad, every element of every ad will be synthetic. You know, I mean, you've even seen that on car rides, right? Where the car's just CG, right? So, but <clears throat> the problem is, is that's super expensive at this point in time. Right? right. If you want to do like a, a 3D render of a car, it's okay for know. a feature film, but yeah, or a, or, or a big ad. But you know, it, if you look back to when I started uh, the agency, when I started my career there, you know, a website would cost 50 grand, or yeah. you know, whereas now Square Squarespace or whatever Wix, like it's a tenner a month or 15 or whatever, yeah. like websites that are far better than the things so yeah. obviously that, that it, it will democratize and become super cheap so at some point a brand will go right we want to advertise this mug okay so why don't we do a advert with a you know uh, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston getting back together drinking coffee and then that would just appear in front of them but then the really exciting thing is uh, how we play into that so it wouldn't just be one ad it would be thousands of ads and those ads would optimize in real time to the audience yeah so advertising will be fully synthetic and will optimize in real time to the people who are looking at those ads right it, it will it, it will literally be data-driven creative so it's not an aesthetic state it's ever yeah molding yeah. to yeah I mean yeah. Like, you know like Google is the exemplar of, of that practice you know you um, the, one of the early articles I read in my career was about how Google would change the color of a button to, you know, to, to optimize it to the perfect blue or orange or whatever it is. I, I obviously, I don't know how close you are to that stuff, but like imagine that at a creative scale, right? So how long is, it, is the ad? Six seconds. Yeah. Oh, maybe four four seconds forty five is perfect. Maybe right. we need the project. We need the product in after. 30 seconds or after one second or yeah. you know like this is it a girl holding the cup or is it a guy or, yeah. or whatever yeah um, and I think it will become a, a fluid responsive thing as opposed to the let's do some research make some assumptions about the audience come up with a creative idea based on that assumption and then put that out in media and hope that it works which if we're honest is how the industry works at the minute. yeah it's a bit of a bet isn't it um, an incredibly innovative uh, technology and, and uh, vision that you have. You must have some, uh, have you got some strong technologists that you work with? That's not your background, is it? No, no, so we, um, yeah, we work with um, some in-house and external people. Yeah. Um, so we are two tech guys that have set up a business yeah. who aren't tech guys. Um, and I think that gives us a, a really interesting point of view in the market because quite often I, I meet startups who they're, they're technology people, and they go, "Advertising's easy. It's just rectangles. We can, you know, advertising's stupid. All ads are the same." And they really struggle because they can't handle the nuance of the industry. Whereas we are guys who've been in creative agencies for you know however long, and now we're working with technology yeah. to build out the product that we think the industry wants, yeah. as opposed to, "Oh, we've got some technology. Let's try and yeah, yeah." Make it work for the industry. Retrofit it. Yeah. yeah. So no, I'm not. I'm not a developer, and I'm, I mean, it's embarrassing to have this conversation and not have that pedigree. But I think I bring something else to the table. 
Well, you and I have that in common. <laughs> we both work in technology somehow, and uh, neither of us are computer scientists, at least. Um, tell me uh, how you got on to Shiny New Object. Uh, it's not your first podcast, by it the way, is, is it? Not. It's not. I think it's my fourth. Fourth? Yeah. <laughs> so the first one I did was... Um, I did uh, a stand-up comedy course about five years ago. Really? Where, yeah, where they... Um, it's a kind of six-week vocational course where you go along every weekend for a couple of days and by the end of the six week program you have a five minute set and then they put you on stage uh, and everyone who's on the course 15 people do a five minute set and everyone brings their five mates with them and they have a pro compare and you can't not be funny in that scenario really like your people bit, want you to uh, oh god and everyone's, everyone's had a few drinks and like you know it's there's a real like, oh my god my friend still that must be <laughs> that yeah, must be incredibly nerve wracking and I, I went on to do I think 200 gigs in a, in a year what? and a half which is, which is small fry for a comedian that's nothing that's, that's probably quite lazy as a comic is 200 gigs you should ideally be doing three a night if you can anyway I mean I was awful I'm, I, there's a theme the, the thread is not being very good at things um, certainly in a performance aspect um, yeah so I yeah I did stand up comedy uh, which talk, once again taught me a lot um, I think for, certainly with sales um, I, I did a gig once where um, I gave myself a rule where I, I wasn't allowed to go on stage with any material and I had to work it out when I got on stage so I went on stage in front of I know, 50 people and just went right I'm just going to see what comes out of my mouth and it was the most difficult five minutes of my life for me and the audience and it was awful but I, I got some laughs and then I think there was one thing that was funny and I was like alright oh, okay so then in the subsequent gig I used that uh, and that, that turned into a thing that turned you know and it, as jokes do you have to kind of build on them and it's like a master class and, and being uncomfortable <laughs> like. yeah, yeah, basically um, but now going on stage in front of any any audience with PowerPoint slides with the words already written on it, it's that's never going to be an issue. And I'm not a, I'm not a great public speaker. I enjoy it and I do it quite a lot, but um, I, I don't. I, I just pretty much killed my nerves, you know. So I can go into difficult meetings if I haven't prepared in the right way, or people who are more senior, or smarter, or better qualified. Like I'm. Yeah. I know, I know, I can think on my feet because I've died on my ass at dirty dicks. Um, with, with nothing. I know I can think on my feet because I've died on my ass. Yeah, um, and it's, it's true. Time. It's true. Um, so, so anyway, so there was a girl on that course, Chantal, who we were like, oh, let's do a podcast together. And so we just got a like a smartphone and recorded it, and it was. I don't think we even listened to it. We just knew it was so bad. And then the next podcast I did was with a guy uh, called Alistair Cole, who yeah. is the always job title. He's, uh, he's heads up innovation basically uh, at Engine, and we did a podcast called the Innovation Ramble. Yeah, because he just got an innovation director job. I just got an innovation director job, and neither of us know knew what that was. Yeah. So we're like, well, look, if we get together every week and talk about innovation, then maybe we'll with no script material, they say the same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So we. We choose a subject like uh, the innovation of um, like warfare or travel or sex or death. And so we go away and find three interesting things about the innovation of that subject. And we recorded it in a, a, a champagne bar in, in King's Cross. Uh, and it was uh, we partnered with the drum. Um, and it was it was it was really successful and went really well. Um, but like Al did it at the same time as having twins. Like it just right. I can't believe that he did it. Um, and then 
I, I did that. Actually, do you know what? I, I, I tell a lie. I did that job to try and force Real Social to give me the innovation job. So I thought I did an innovation podcast <laughs> that was in the drum. It, it would like you know it's push them in that in that really direction. sophisticated job, isn't it? Um, yeah. So yeah. So I sort of forced them into that. Um, I'm not sure they regret it that much. But um, and then once I kind of got that job, it was like right. Well, you know, and then we both sort of established as innovation people. So we decided to knock that on the head. Um, but I, you know, I'll just an incredible man to spend all that time with him was just such a treat uh, and we're still very good friends and then the next podcast that happened uh, one episode that me and a guy called Nick Dodd did who works at Real Social called Two Blokes and a Burger Two Blokes and a Burger The okay. Search for the Perfect Patty and the, <laughs> and the idea is I'm a pretentious pretentious food git and he's like you know keeps it real and the idea we would go around and try these different burgers but it was just it, it was it was fun but it was just too much work and so that that never saw the light of day and then i set up automated creative a year last january yeah and i was going from being an innovation person where you're across everything to being a, a specialist like setting up a creative ai business like i, I felt nervous about niching down too much yeah. and I also needed a vehicle to meet people uh, and to stay inspired yeah. and so I thought if I set up a podcast about innovation where I can interview influential and insightful people about the future of marketing then if I'm chatting to you then I can get your view of a thing that you've thought about for months and months and months condensed down into a into an hour right. and I can get up to speed with your thinking about yeah. that. and I've interviewed Oh my God, like um, incredible people. I interviewed uh, Jerry D'Angelo, who's the global head of paid media um, at P&G, you, yep. you probably know. Um, uh, it's, it's Tom Goodwin at Zenith, like so yeah. all, all over LinkedIn. Um, Justin Cook, who's the vice chair of UNICEF. Yeah. Um, just like in, incredible people with incredible stories. And and you sometimes sit in there thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, like yeah. what I'm hearing here is something I've never heard of that I, I didn't understand. And it, I think that's wonderful thing about doing an interview podcast is it, it, it skills you up in yeah. so many different areas, whether it's just the subject matter or the ability to put on a show or your network. So I thought I'd do it for a bit and it's just grown and grown and grown. Uh, and it's a real labor of love. Like I, I would do it if, if one person listened to it. it, it, it it's that rewarding. So you, yeah, I mean, it, it must be a huge uh, time time suck. So a real commitment. Well, no, I see that's the thing. So okay. the innovation ramble was a nightmare because we we choose a subject like uh, the innovation of transport. Oh, we don't know anything so about you that. Have to research it. Yeah. So we'd go away and research it, and then we'd have a call going, Oh, I found these three things. And then we go, Oh, well, I like that one. I don't like that one. Okay, all right, well, I'll go and look a bit more into that. Then you had to travel to King's Cross to, to meet, and you had to have breakfast, have a chat. Oh, okay, yeah, sort it all out in a Google Doc. And then, right, again, we'll record it. And then I have to go and edit it. And then we did a video version, and they had to upload it. And then you have to write a post or whatever. It was so, that was very light touch, and it was seven hours a week. Right. That's a day's work. Yeah. Right. And I wasn't getting paid for that. There was no yeah. sponsorship. It wasn't part of my weird social job. That was on top. And um, so I had to find that time. Yeah. I mean, it, it actually impacted on my relationship because I was doing 12-hour days at work anyway, and then I was like doing this other seven hours. Right. And you know, um, so I, I was getting up super early in the morning, and yeah, and it uh, it was really tough. So I thought with trying a new object, I'm just like, right, I'm going to meet someone, and I'm going to press record and then I'm going to press stop and then I'm going to put it live right? and then that's it. Yeah. And I do do a blog post as well but I, you know, um, that, 
doesn't take so long. So really, I probably spend, including recording it, three hours a week on the so podcast. Yeah. Okay, you've um, certainly. Um, scared the life out of me. Uh, maybe I'm not <laughs> naive <laughs> thinking in the, in the, t- in well, the you've time got, commitment. Yeah. You've got staff, so you know you well, can. Not, t- not personally. It's not a. Work, <laughs> you know, it's not a. Work, it's a passion project. Like, well, there you go. Like, 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 like yours. But, come on, uh, Craig. You know people. I'm sure you can. Uh, you can uh, sort it out. I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah. No. I th- I, look, I think um, it's a, it's a great way. You know, I relate to that. You know, I try to meet three or four new people a week. And it is, is absolutely fascinating listening to the stories of <laughs> wow. the stories of others, and you certainly uh, you, you certainly um, uh, learn a whole lot. I think I've listened to all of your podcasts. What on shiny new object? You kidding me? Yeah, because it's really relevant to, to, wow. to the industry and wow. uh, remarkable. Like, I think to hear. you must be the only person, but I appreciate that. No, I'm not sure. Which was your favourite, other than your own? Um, did you listen to your own? More important question. I, I, I did. I found that very uncomfortable. It's tough, isn't it? Very, very really uncomfortable, weird. honestly. So the, what they, 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 the my favourite was Bruce Daisley. Ah, yeah, yeah, he's the yeah. old pro. Um, the, what they teach you to do in comedy is video your set, like whatever, wherever it is. Yeah. And so the first time I did a gig, uh, I think it was actually done at King's Cross, um, there was a guy there with a video camera and he was doing a tour or something like that. Like, and I said, oh, could you could you video my set and then email it to me? And the set went, for a first gig, it was actually went quite well. And so he sent me the video and I was watching it and I was like, I thought my recollection was that people were laughing a lot more than they were, and, and I wrote to him. I said, "Ah, oh, you know, I think you know, I think it went all right, but it, people weren't really laughing that much." And he said, "Bless him, oh, I was just one of those microphones that doesn't really pick up laughter." Which is a sort of the uh, weird dig compliment thing, all, all all wrapped up in one, but. If you force yourself to listen to your work, you will learn far quicker than yeah. you will with your like. Oh, I think that went quite well. Yeah. Like video it, record it, watch it. It's like going to the gym. Like, it's really brutal. Yeah. Force yeah. yourself to do it. Camera doesn't lie. It's it's true. It's so what true. an amazing story, sort of uh, coming coming through uh, coming through school out of university, philosophy, music, food, digital. Um, an, an incredible journey. Any advice? Uh, you know, what what are your lessons from from your journey? To whom? To people who may be starting out. Uh, you know, coming out of school, thinking about the road ahead. If you're starting out, I I would ask yourself, what is the thing that you really love the process of doing? that other people don't like so much like it is that is that cooking is it like the uh, you know picking up and smelling a tomato or or is it like is it is it i don't know coding or you know popping open your laptop sitting there for what can you do for like 12 hours straight without even going to the toilet that just fascinates you and that's not like watching movies which is the, not the end not the enjoyment of the end result right but what is the what is the process that you could just endlessly do without any payment any sleep you know, what is the thing that you just can't stop yourself doing that you absolutely love um, and and if you if you if you focus on doing that then your end output will be amazing and I, coming back to music I think that's what why some of the bands that I really love which are the you know 
sixties and seventies rock and roll bands, you know, the Beatles, the Stones, Ruth Franklin, and so on. Like from the age of ten, they just played piano or guitar without any any thought of rewards. Yeah. They just loved it. They just so, loved it. So by the time they were eighteen and gorgeous and beautiful, and the sixties and seventies happened, they were just anything that they did sounded totally incredible. But they they loved the process. So yeah. What, what is the process that you just absolutely can do and do and do and there's probably something in that. I've never heard that advice before. It's incredibly insightful and provocative. Amazing advice, amazing guest. Thanks, Tom. Dude, thanks so much. Awesome. Nice. Awesome.